We have a wonderful crowd this afternoon. Thank you for being here. I've enjoyed the week. Uh, Robert and I have immensely. And I want to, before we get into the lesson, I want to thank you. Thank you for the hard work that you've done this week, the sacrifice of your time. Uh, there's many places you could have been every night this week. Sometimes just sitting in your easy chair at home is a nice place to be. But you came and you supported this meeting and you put yourself into it. And I want to thank you for that. I appreciate uh, Carrie and Cheryl so much for opening up their home. They just gave us free reign. We had uh, just uh, kitchen privileges the whole nine yards. You just name it. And uh, we just was very comfortable. And thank you for the hospitality so much. Uh, and you guys, all of you guys fed us, I think. Did everybody feed us? I feel like everybody fed us. <laughs> And uh, at least I ate too much, and, and, uh, but your hospitality was wonderful. Thank you so much. be praying for you, and uh, we solicit your prayers. We'll be heading back toward uh, uh, the east this afternoon, get probably to Fort Smith. So pray for our safety, if you will, and finish the travel tomorrow. Uh, if you're in Tennessee, come visit us. We want you. And uh, you'd be welcome. Just come one family at a time. <laughs> Our house is not that big. This evening, we want to uh, study with you for a few minutes and look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. It's uh, nothing uncommon to think about the Apostle Paul praying for a church and praying for uh, the Ephesians. After all, the Bible says that and Paul stated himself that he had the care of all the churches. And the Apostle Paul held a universal audience, a universal office, I should say. When he went into a church, he was a walking Bible. That's something that we do not have today. We do not have apostleship. Uh, the closest thing to a universal office would be an evangelist, but yet an evangelist, even though this may be a universal office to some extent, he is still working in a local capacity under the leadership and guidance of of eldership where they're present. But the Apostle Paul was not that way. He held an office where he could walk into a church and he could speak the oracles of God. He was a walking Bible. So when we read his prayer and we read how he felt about the Ephesians and about not only him but all of the, the churches that he, that, that he was there, we can learn some things about how God sees us and what he desires for us. Let's look at uh, the prayer. It's found in Ephesians 1, beginning with verse 16. And Paul talks about his prayer, and he says, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, Excuse me, I've got clicking wrong. There you go. <laughs> Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of, you, of your understanding being enlightened. Notice these phrases that he says he's praying for. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power 
to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Paul says this is what he's praying for, for the church at Ephesus. And I believe that this is God's desire for us at the church at Amarillo or the church at Wheeler or the church wherever. Number one is that we become spiritually aware. Aware of what? Aware of these things is what Paul said he was praying for. That we are aware of the hope of his calling. The riches of his glory and the work of his mighty power. Paul continues in the book of Ephesians, uh, based, of, I believe, upon these thoughts, and that you and I can understand, he has to go back to the past to recall where the Ephesians were at. For in order to better understand or be enlightened along these things, we look at the picture of the past. Ephesians 2 and 1 says that you were dead in trespasses and in sins. The former state of man. Our former state. Verse 2 says that they lived and we lived according to the path of the world. And we talked about that last night. The course of the world carries people. I think about the course of the world and I think about a man that I met in uh, southern Mississippi one time. And I was in his house trying to do a Bible study. And he says, I'm just like a leaf on a tree. He said, I fall down and I land in the water and wherever the water carries me, he said, that's where I go. (laughs) Oh, happy-go-lucky life. But if you're following the course of the world, according to Paul, this is the condition that the church at Ephesus was in before they became Christians. They were dead in their trespasses and sins, and they were just like that leaf on the tree. The course of the world, whatever it took them and wherever it took them, and that will always take you to misery. Number three, verse three, they lived fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And when we look back at our past life, this is what we're seeing in our own life. We live according to the lust and fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. Today, so many people struggle with these things and that desire. Paul says in verse 12 that we were aliens and strangers. That's interesting. Aliens and strangers. And then verse 4 in Ephesians 2, he uses a phrase, but God. (laughs) All of these things, what we were experiencing... And as we discuss this prayer this evening, we're discussing the prayer for enlightenment or spiritually being spiritually aware. But God, if it were not for that, you and I would be lost. We would be without hope. We would still be in that condition of dead in our trespasses and sins, living according to the path of the world, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And aliens and strangers from God. But God. He loved us. And according to that, we are preached the gospel of reconciliation. The gospel of where Jesus came and that he died and that he was buried, that he rose again and we were reconciled back to God. If it hadn't been for but God. That would be our story. 
In Ephesians 2 verse 19, Paul uses the word, after all of this discourse, he says, now therefore. In other words, because all these things are true. This is where you were. And remember his prayer. He's, pre- he's praying for enlightenment along according to these things of us knowing God, of us being aware of our position in God and our state in God, and we can live a victorious life understanding these things. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Paul mentions, because these things were once true, now our life has changed. And this is what I want us to think about. And this is the enlightenment, if you will. That Paul is praying for. And he's sharing it with the Ephesians and therefore he shares it with us. We look back at our past life and we see where we were. But God loved us. While we were yet lost and undone, but God loved us. And now there's three metaphors that he uses to enlighten us regarding the hope of our calling. And the riches of his glory. Number one, he says, we're fellow citizens with God's people. This morning, I hope the lesson was beneficial to you in the fact that you understand that our value as members of his body is much more than a singular value. Our value is many people coming together to make one. We're fellow citizens with God's people. We are members of God's household. Think about that. Members of his household. Number three, we are part of the foundation. Part of the building. And we're built upon this foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Let's talk about those three things so that we can understand what Paul is praying for. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners. A stranger is a person who does not know or is not known in a particular place in the community. I read a story uh, about, I like stories about old presidents. I don't know why, but I do. And and I find some of it interesting. They said Calvin Coolidge, uh, he was just a somber type guy. He wasn't, didn't want to smile. He had, went around with a scowl on his face most of the time. Will Rogers. Do y'all know who Will Rogers is? You know, he's named after that airport in Oklahoma City. (laughs) Will Rogers was uh, American humorist. But they, Will Rogers, he said, "Watch, watch this. He said, I'll make old Calvin smile. Nobody else can do it. I'll do it. So he was at the president. He was meeting Calvin Coolidge, and he walked up to him, and he shook his hand, and he said, I didn't catch the name. Like that old Calvin Coolidge, Calvin smiled. That moment, just something as simple as that, to make somebody smile, make somebody warm up to you a little bit, that moment Calvin Coolidge and Will Rogers were no longer strangers. (laughs) 
You don't realize we were strangers with God? You didn't know him. He didn't know you. But now Paul says we're no longer strangers. A stranger is a person who's not familiar. I was standing in line in a, uh, conven- in, a, in a fast food restaurant and this woman was next to me and apparently the person on the other side of the counter thought that we were together. And <laughs> she tried to put the woman on my ticket and the woman said, oh, we're strangers. <laughs> she didn't want to be my wife. <laughs> we didn't, we weren't, we're not familiar with each other. And that's what strangers is. And so when Paul talks about us being a stranger with God, he's saying we were not familiar with him and he's not familiar with us in the fact of a relationship. And that's what it's all about, brethren. It's coming to Christ and knowing and having that relationship with him and not being a stranger. He says we're also at one time that we were foreigners, but now we're not foreigners. You know what a foreigner is? Of course you do. I went to Japan and I, uh, when, in 1990, and I hadn't been too many places in my life at that time, but I went to Japan for about a month, and I found out what a foreigner was. I, I was him. And I, was, I found out what it was like to be illiterate. Scary. I couldn't read anything. I didn't know where I was half the time. I was not familiar with the people, and I was not familiar with my surroundings. I was a foreigner. That was not my country. And I lacked full rights. I didn't have full rights in Japan. I was not a citizen of that country. Anybody that's traveled abroad understands some of those things and we understand what it means to be a foreigner. Can you imagine your past life? Can you remember your past life when you were a foreigner in the kingdom of heaven? I remember quite well. And I venture to say that you do too. You come to church, you didn't fully understand. You didn't know what was going on, not fully, not completely, and you certainly didn't appreciate it. You were a stranger in that kingdom, and you were a foreigner to it. And you lacked full rights. Now he says we are fellow citizens with God's people. A citizen of what? There's two kingdoms that are recognized. Let's read about them. John 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Ephesians 6 and 12 says that we wrestle not against principalities and powers, against flesh and blood, but against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's two kingdoms that are recognized. A spiritual kingdom that is of God and a spiritual kingdom that is not of God. And we wrestle against those of us who are in this fellow citizens with God. In this kingdom, we wrestle against that other kingdom. Our battle is not against men. 
We're not fighting men. Our battle is against these principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in high places. When we became, became a citizen of the kingdom of God, we automatically became an enemy to that other kingdom. And we become in a wrestling match with it all the time in our life. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink. Through the Holy Spirit, he says in Romans 14 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Peter says it's an everlasting kingdom. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This kingdom that you and I are a part of, that Paul prayed that we can be enlightened so that we can know the power of God and can understand the hope of our calling. This kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Don't get distressed at the temporary kingdoms that rise and fall. Don't get distressed at that. They affect the flesh for a little while. But the kingdom of God, this citizenship that you and I own now and that we're a part of, this kingdom is never going away. Never. And it will eventually be delivered up to the Father. And we'll dwell with God forever. Now, if I'm a foreigner to this kingdom, I can't appreciate that. And I have a problem comprehending it. Furthermore, I don't even have full rights to this kingdom if I'm a foreigner. We find that this kingdom of heaven that we are citizens to is uh, admitted by birth. I'm a United States citizen. The reason I'm a United States citizen is because I was born in the United States. But even the kingdom that exists among uh, uh, the kingdom of men... I'm a part of the kingdom of man, too. I'm a, I'm a man because I was born into the kingdom of men. I'm not a part of the animal kingdom. I don't care what the scientists say. I'm part of the kingdom of man. It's a higher kingdom. John 3 and 5 says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We're born into the kingdom of God, and it is a supernatural birth. It is a spiritual birth that allows us to be a part of this citizenship. As citizens of this kingdom, we have certain responsibilities and privileges. Luke nineteen twelve says, He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and to return. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus went to heaven and he received a kingdom. And he will return. To receive that kingdom. Now notice in verse 13 he says that he called his ten servants. You and I represent those ten servants. And delivered them ten pounds. That represents responsibilities that you and I have in this kingdom of God. And said unto them, occupy till I come. Occupy. What does he mean by that? Occupy till I come. Do you know you're not just supposed to dwell here on this earth and be a, an inert agent? You're supposed to occupy. Now, in World War II, when the United States occupied Germany, 
the influence of the United States went throughout Germany. Did it not? World War II, when the occupation of Japan, the influence, and we still see that influence today, went all throughout Japan. And I'm telling you, God doesn't want us to be just an inert agent sitting here on pews. He wants us to occupy. And no wonder He said that you're the salt of the earth. No wonder He said you're the light of the world. We're to occupy. We're to occupy this planet. And the influence of Christ is to go out throughout all the world. And that's our command. He's given us responsibilities. He's given us certain privileges as part of this kingdom. So when Paul prays for the hope of our calling, that we're seeing these responsibilities and we're seeing and being enlightened, spiritually aware of what God expects from us and our privileges as part of this citizenship of the kingdom. Furthermore, if I'm a citizen of a kingdom, I have power and protection of that kingdom. Matthew 5 and 11 says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted the prophets which were before you. We have power and protection of the king. Now vengeance is not ours. The scripture plainly says that. Vengeance is his. And he said he would repay. But when he says that, he's saying, you have my power and you have my protection. And that's part of the privileges of being in the kingdom. Romans twelve nineteen says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto the wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Furthermore, as part of this citizenship and part of this new birth, then we become close friends. But not just close friends with God. And I find this absolutely amazing in Matthew 8, verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come into the east and to the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You know who you're friends with? (laughs) Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those great souls that went before us, the heroes of faith. We have now become friends even though we've not met personally. We sit down in this kingdom. What does that mean? Sit down in this kingdom. Why, we are part of the same citizenship. We're under the same ruler. We have the same privileges. The same responsibilities. The spiritual enlightenment that Paul is praying for is that you and I can understand our blessings, our privileges, and our responsibilities. Furthermore, Not only am I friends with these folks, I walk with a king. It's one of my favorite songs. I walk with a king. I don't walk with just a king. I walk with the king. I have the privilege and the responsibility and the honor of walking with a king. 2 Corinthians 6 and 5 says, And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. When we sing the song, I walk with a king. 
Let's sing it with the spirit and the understanding. I walk with the king because the king rules the kingdom that I am in a citizenship of. And the privileges that I have is because of this king, because but God. While I was yet lost and undone, but God looked down upon me and he loved me. I love him because he first loved me. And you and I, as part of this wonderful citizenship, we become part of this second metaphor. We're part of members of God's household. Ephesians 2.19 says, But fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. Paul explains our relationship with Christ is even now more than just a citizenship of the kingdom. But we are part of the household of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. It's not just that he's my king, now he's my father. And my father is the king. And I'm a part of that household. Members of an intimate family. I heard a story one time about a little boy that went before a king back in the day when kings ruled. And he ran in abruptly. (laughs) And the men who were guarding the throne around the king and protecting said, You just can't come in here. He said, he may be your king, but he's my daddy. And I can come in here. And that is so true with us. Many people recognize there is a God. But the Spirit says that we now cry, I'm a father. He's our daddy, our spiritual father. And we're members of an intimate family. There's nothing closer than a family. I was, now, we spent a week with Carrie and Cheryl over there, and I, I, and, and, uh, but, I, you know, I'm not a member of that, per se, that household, that family. And there's not an intimacy that I shared like they share with their children, is there? But that's not the case with our citizenship and our household part in the kingdom of God and in his church. We're family. We're brothers and sisters, and we share the same father. The child of a king always holds rank. He can barge in. He can always run in there. And we always have an open, open path to the throne room of God. Isn't that what the book of Hebrews teaches us? That we can now enter with boldness to the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Zechariah 2 verse 8 says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. You realize that you and I, as children of God, and part of this household, were the apple of his eye? Now you be careful. You be careful not to harm the apple of his eye. When we garner animosity toward each other or resentment or all of those feelings, you don't forget you're talking about God's child. You be careful with that. 
Let's remember that you and I hold the same rank. We're children of the king. We have privileges, but we also have responsibility. Let's honor each other in that way. The third part of these metaphors, the third metaphor in this uh, discourse that Paul gives us to explain for our enlightenment is we are a foundation. Ephesians 2.20 says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is even a deeper level of relationship. Even deeper, if you will, that the citizenship down to the household, now we become the building. Even closer. The deepest part. We become an, a, a part of the building of God. Peter puts it this way. He says, you're lively stones. Now, when we look at our position in the building of God as a lively stone, and lively stones mean that you're a living stone. This is not a dead building. This is a living organism of God. And you look at your placement In this building. Wherever you're placed. On this foundation. Wherever it is. It's where God wants you to be. And the value of it. And there. Whether it's a one talent man. Two talent man. Five talent man. There you take what God has given you. And you use it for the glory of God. I've said many times in the analogy of us being a part of the body, uh, some people say, you know, I feel like I'm just the foot of the body or I'm just a finger of the body. I'm more than happy just to be a one cell in that body. Wherever God has placed us in this body and given us the responsibilities that we have, Let us remember that we are a part of this building of God. Now, that means that we're scattered, but we're joined. Each of us are individuals. We're living stones. And we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That means we are a living, growing habitation of God. If we are living, we have to be growing. And we are the habitation of God. What No closer relationship than the one you live with. That's when you know everything about everything. <laughs> it's when you live with somebody. We're a habitation of God. He says Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. I think there's a reason why he uses the cornerstone. is because all measurements of a building are taken from the corner. Every time. I'd like to share with you a little story. It's going to be brief. Uh, but we built a house in 1989. And prior to this house, I'll show you a picture of the old house that we lived in in a minute. Uh, because it wants, it makes a point for me. But this old house was uh, 100,000 years old. I, don't know. I mean, it was old. And we finally, finally got where we could build this house. And you know, in my mind, I was going to build the perfect house. You know, smart, I thought. I thought, well, I, I know the best people 
in this county to build a house. Now, I still live in this house. <laughs> and they laid the foundation. Everything was lovely until the framer came. It was that quick that this building went awry. The framer comes and he tells me, he says, Mark, he said, your house is out of square. No, can't be out of square. George is the best mason in the county. George comes up there and he checks it. He says, you're out of square. He said, I missed a corner. One corner. That's all it took. One corner. And now I've got a basement that is built that's out of square. I told you that. Now, if when you come to visit us, you'll know that we're square people. <laughs> or out of square people, however you want to put it. We still live in the house. It's not damaged us too much. It got me over some of my pride. And I realized that I'm not going to do everything perfectly, though I might want to. But if Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, and he is, and all measurements of this building are taken off him, and they are, that building is perfect. There's no errors in it. And when we start trying to take a measurement off some other place in this building to try to reform or reconstruct or try to revise in some manner, we're going to get off and off badly. And the building won't even take the same resemblance and thus we see the result of that in our world today. With so many organizations that call themselves a church. But the building that God constructs, this living habitation of God, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and all measurements are taken from Him. And He is the standard for this building and everything is perfect when God builds it. Ephesians 4 verse 4 says there is one body, one spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Jesus is the standard. He is the chief cornerstone of this mighty building that we live and where we are growing and where God is a habitation. In Him, by Him, through Him, through his death, through his blood, through his burial, through his resurrection, it's all through him. Everything is from that corner. That's the picture of the old house right there. My uncle painted that painting back when I was a boy living in that house with my mom and my daddy. And that was my grandfather's house. And we tore that old house down uh, a few years ago, Robert and I did, after my mother passed away. I had to not be there when that was done. Got some sentimental feelings about it. It's gone. Everything we build is going to crumble. My grandfather was built in 18... Or was built. My grandfather was born in 1859. I know, it's ridiculous, but it's the truth. 1859, my grandfather... My daddy was 60, uh, he was 60 years old when my daddy was born in 1919. This is part of that heritage right there, that old house. I hated to see it go. 
It had to go. Everything crumbles. Everything we build crumbles. What God builds, though, I've got a representation there building on a rock. God builds on a rock. That foundation is Jesus. This kingdom that we belong to, it's eternal, it's everlasting. You give thanks every day to be a part of this kingdom. You give thanks every day. You're there because, but God. That's why we're there. We have responsibilities in this kingdom. Live up to them. You're a living building of God. If you're living, you've got to be growing. Otherwise, you're dying. We have a citizenship with full rights. We are the household of God. We're in the family of God. We are a part of a building of God as a living stone with Christ as the cornerstone. We are a living, growing, a habitation of God. And this is what Paul, I believe, at least in part, was praying for that you and I understand. Why? Because as we go through our lives, even though our lives may take on some sort of meaning to most people, it's not mounting to much. We live for a short period of time and then we fade away, the scripture says. A couple of generations, you're forgotten completely and entirely. But I want to tell you, if you're a part of this, God never forgets you. And your importance is based upon the value that God places upon you and not what men place upon you. The world looks at what we do here. They don't understand it. They're foreigners. They're not citizens. The world looks at our life and they don't understand it. They're not part of the building. But would we understand... Even when the tough times come and the hard days face us and the long nights, we know who we are. I remind you this evening who you are. If you're not a part of this kingdom, this household, we want to invite you to be a part of it. God loves you. If it were not for the fact, but God loved us. Won't you come as we stand and sing?